With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it is Jared Weiss in the building. Good friend of the program. And I was just complimenting Jared on how glorious, feathered, and lethal his hair is as we get ready to talk about the NBA trade deadline. Those of you watching on YouTube, which please go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini. Uh, you're going to be able to see Jared's just absolutely glorious hair. Jared, how you doing, man? It's a pretty rough intro. I don't know how I bounce back from that. I, rough i mean god you, you're talking to someone whose hairline is like going farther and farther back and it's just a disaster i mean i keep i keep having these people on with strong hairlines and i'm just like what am i doing with my life here i like the volume you're getting though i mean you're kind of leaning into the situation you're you're, you're not yeah. just because it's going back doesn't mean it's going anywhere i mean we, we all still see the show that's the move that's what it's got to be so like i said at the top here jared is in washington dc he has like an hour until he has to go see the Boston Celtics, you know, blow another fourth quarter lead. Like, what are, what are we talking about yeah. here? Let's be honest. Uh, so we are going to talk about the NBA trade deadline. And the way that I've set up this show is I would like to frame it as the 11 players that will shape the NBA trade deadline. This isn't to say that these are the 11 players most likely to be traded. It's just... The decision on whether or not they are traded is what is going to most shape the NBA trade deadline. So I've shared this list with Jared. I think that it's kind of an interesting group of players. It kind of crosses the positional spectrum. It crosses the team spectrum. It asks a lot of interesting questions. And I will frame each of these players as a question, essentially, as we go through them. And let's just kind of dive in with the big overarching question that's hanging over this entire entire trade deadline. Ben Simmons, look, is is Ben Simmons going to get traded? Let's just go there. Like, is Ben Simmons going to get traded this deadline? I don't know how he doesn't. I I feel like, I feel like the way Ben's, okay, so there's that report uh, that Sacramento was considering offering, uh, like basically all, all their good wing shooters, with Halliburton, who I think is pretty close to a foundational piece, so if you put pair next to Joel Embiid, Buddy yeah. Heald, and Harrison Barnes and two first-round picks, and then that Simmons, and then taking on Tobias Harris and then Matisse yeah. Um And 
it sounded like the Sixers were the ones that weren't interested in that. And I mean, I love I love Matisse Thybul, but I feel like that's overrating Ben Simmons or maybe underrating Tyrese Halliburton, or maybe yeah. they just don't care about first round picks right now. But like Simmons, it does like we we just we have established who he is at this point so significantly. We obviously know in Philadelphia there's just not a future there. So if you can get a package even comparable to that, and I feel like there's a lot of potential packages out there between what yeah. Minnesota and Atlanta can do. Just all, there's all these teams that are pretty loaded with good young players out there um, that I feel like it's just kind of an obvious move to trade Simmons for one of those guys instead of holding out for some sort of better offer in the offseason. So let's let's throw out what I think could be the best Ben Simmons packages. You threw out the Kings deal. I think that's a really competitive offer. Uh, I was a little bit surprised uh, with the fact that the Kings were willing to offer Tyrese Halliburton. I was a little bit surprised that there was the Shams report earlier this week that made it seem like De'Aaron Fox is the like central figure there that they want to keep. Um, and they obviously threw into that story as well that they want to keep Tyrese Halliburton too. But it seemed more that De'Aaron was the central guy there. Uh, that's crazy to me. Like Tyrese Halliburton is pretty darn close to as good as De'Aaron Fox right now, I think. Um and he's much cheaper and on a rookie scale deal. I think he's almost as good as Ben Simmons now, considering his, his pull-up game has improved so much. So I feel like I'd probably clearly rather have Tyrese Halliburton than Ben Simmons long-term. I don't think I would, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, okay. So they have Buddy Heald, who'd be really helpful to just play as a same side shooter on the same side as Joel Embiid when he's posting and everything, because it'd be really hard to double. Uh, they essentially move in Harrison Barnes, who is playing better than Tobias Harris this year, at the very least. Like, let's, you know, whether or not he's better than Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris is better than him over the grand stretch of their careers, right? Let's at least say Harrison Barnes is better than Tobias Harris this year. He's on a cheaper contract. That's an upgrade, I think, for the 76ers. And then we're talking about multiple picks. I think that's an incredibly competitive and an incredibly compelling offer if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, if that was actually offered. For Minnesota, what do we think the offer is? Because that's what I've struggled to kind of put together. Uh, There's no way it's going to be Anthony Edwards. Uh, There's no way that you're throwing in Carl Anthony Towns just from like a fit perspective. I, I'm struggling to see what the competitive offer is there without one of those two, I guess. Yeah, I guess there's not really a good one. Um, I feel like it's a lot of role players and picks. And yeah. it's a question of Philadelphia. Are you, I guess, you know what? Maybe that's lost a lot of its luster because Minnesota's climbing into the playoffs now. And so right. I would presume they're going to get better if they trade for Simmons, right? So maybe Minnesota's just out of the lottery permanently now and they finally have made that next step because. D'Lo, like D'Lo in theory seems like a great fit next to Embiid, but I don't think D'Lo in theory has ever turned to D'Lo in actual practice. And then yeah. guys like Vanderbilt and McDaniels, it would be great to have those guys around. I, I don't know if Jalen Noel actually has like building value yet. He's been a fun player for them, but it's yeah, I'm still waiting to see how that pans out. But yeah, Minnesota probably doesn't really have that competitive of an offer because there's no way you would include Edwards or Towns. Yeah. The other team that I think does have the ability to create a really competitive offer is Atlanta, and I wrote about that this week. Uh, The offer I put on the table was John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, Jalen Johnson, and two first-round picks for Simmons and Harris. 
and they can up that offer beyond that. I think that the Kings offer does beat if they're willing to include Tyrese Halliburton. I think the Kings offer beats that offer, but I think Atlanta has the upside to beat the Kings offer if they want because they can include guys like DeAndre Hunter. They can actually include Kevin Herter in that deal because while his contract is poison-pilled by nature of him having signed an extension, once you start working with trade numbers that are like you have to match $65 million or something like that, uh, the 125 rule becomes very fungible in terms of you can throw Kevin Herter into a deal and even though he's counting for $3 million against your salary cap versus like I think it'd be like $12 million against the 76ers salary cap in this scenario, it actually can kind of work uh, in terms of a deal structure. So I'm really intrigued by the idea of the Hawks and I like the Hawks as a fit in general because I like the idea of Ben Simmons insulating Trey Young on defense in addition to being able to relieve some pressure on him in ball screens. Like you could run him in short rolls. And if you remember the Milwaukee series last year in the playoffs, what Milwaukee did was they essentially just blitzed Trey Young every time and got the ball out of his hands. And if you have that release valve with Ben Simmons there short rolling into like that elbow area or short rolling like into the 20 foot area, it's really fucking hard to do that because he'll just slice and dice you in four on three scenarios. So I love the idea of Ben Simmons there. I don't know how aggressive they'll be necessarily um, doing that, especially now that they've reeled off like three straight wins and maybe the Cam Reddish deal kind of, you know, figured some things out in the locker room and they're okay. We'll, we'll see. Like, but what do you, what do you think of Atlanta there? I mean, I love the Simmons fit because of exactly what you're describing. It just allows Simmons to operate from the ball closer to the hoop and doesn't have to deal with teams sagging underneath them. And then it's also not just like a static post-up. Like it's getting yeah. him the ball on the move where there's still energy in the play and allowing him to be that decision maker, which I was hoping John Collins would turn into that to a degree, but we just haven't seen that much of that component to his game. Yeah. Um, I love John Collins, so, but the passing, it just hasn't come yet. Uh, and he yeah. continues to improve every single year. So maybe it'll come at some point, but it's the one part of his game that's actually like kind of a significant flaw right now. I mean, shit, at least he's shooting 43% and is yeah. still really good in the hard roll, at least, and can you know, really finish. So that's, he definitely is a fascinating guy. And he's still only 24. So yeah, I still love him. Runway yeah, there. I do. I, I think he's so good. I'm a little conflicted on who were the other wings you want from Atlanta because I would have assumed Herder just because he's such a good off-ball player. I mean, he's only shooting, what, like 36% this year or something like that, so it's not like he's having a great shooting year. And DeAndre Hunter is shooting the ball well, but between his health and Atlanta really valuing him, it seems like it's pretty hard to imagine prying him away. But, you know, it's Gallo is one of those guys that every time you think he's on his way out, then he just surprises you with a 30-point performance. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah he used to be a fringe all-star at one point. Um, and I wonder if, like, Philadelphia wants wants to have one of those guys. Just have another one of those guys who just every once in a while can get you a huge game rather than someone who blends into the scenery really well. So, yep. um, go ahead. Well, it's interesting because... If I was Philly and I got Gallinari, I'd flip him. 
again because that contract's okay. actually pretty valuable. Like the t- the name that I brought up was Eric Gordon. Like, could you move one of those first round picks and Gallinari for Eric Gordon then? And then you have Eric Gordon with all of these other pieces with Bogdan. With if you go get Kevin Herter, like if if you can do something like that, like that's actually a really interesting roster. Then I think with Tyrese Maxey, with obviously Joel Embiid, with the level he's at, like I'm kind of intrigued. Do you so? Do you want to like have like chuckers around Maxi and Embiid? Because I mean, Gordon, Gordon probably could could control his uh, his gunnership a little bit yeah. if he's on Philadelphia. But I feel like he's one of those guys that's going to kind of like go into heater mode a few times a game, and that can be a little disruptive. I feel like those other guys aren't quite at that level. Yeah, that's a really good call. I mean, even Bogdan can get that way from time to time as well. Um, Maxi can obviously get that way from time to time. So. You are talking about a lot of shot making and not a lot of like passing necessarily. Uh, I kind of love the idea of just having guys that can go out and create their own shot and space the floor for Embiid. Like I think and defend on top of that, too. Like if you go get Herter and Eric Gordon, like Herter can't like defend primary like players on the ball, but he's an awesome like secondary defender in the backcourt where if he's guarding your second best guy on the perimeter and kind of sagging off and helping off. I think he's really good in those scenarios. Eric Gordon, I think is just a good defender. Uh, He's been awesome this year for Houston. Weirdly, even though that team has been uh, kind of a mess up until the last like two or two and a half weeks or so, Um, you know, you go out and you get, you know, other guys like this, I I, kind of like it, but I I mean, like part of this is too, I don't know if Philadelphia is in like an ideal circumstance here and that kind of, brings us to the next point you think ben simmons is going to get traded i agree with you i think that it would daryl morey has gone on the radio in philadelphia and said essentially that it's not just because of joel Embiid's level that we need to get this you know we need to go out and trade ben simmons it's even more incumbent upon us to get it right and to go get a star because Joel is at this level. We have a real chance to win a title. We have to be patient and go and get the right deal for us. I, I, if it was any other superstar in the league, I would agree with Daryl. But given Joel Embiid's injury history and given his propensity to miss games and his propensity to... Uh, his, his age as well, he's a little bit older than what people think. I think they got to go make a move. I, I, I think it'd be a bit irresponsible to not make a move and give Joel Embiid a real chance to win a title this year. But he is playing like the best player in the NBA right now. He is the most dominant force in the NBA right now. And to not make a move for that guy, I don't know, man. I don't know if I could do it. That's tough. Yeah, there's a legitimate question about how long his peak is going to be just because of how big he is and the way he plays the game and his injury history. So he's clearly at his peak. And he's been playing at an MVP level for two years in a row now. And I think and the best part is that he wasn't quite playing at that level earlier in the year, and he's kind of found his footing and is absolutely destroying everybody now. So Philadelphia is that team that they scale dramatically once they actually make the Simmons trade from a – you know, just outside of the competition area to they could be right at the top of the east basically if they're able to put not even just like bring another star but just these pa- a lot of these packages just give them phenomenal depth that fits really well around them i think that's what's so exciting about yeah. it, is that the teams that really are in the mix to go for simmons 
can actually give them like a good player to build next to Embiid and give them the depth that really fits around and kind of solves a lot of their issues. It's pretty rare that you have that. It's usually either you find like the great prospect or you just get a bunch of random young guys that will hopefully turn into something for you eventually. Yeah, no, I think that's dead right. Final verdict here. You think Ben Simmons gets traded. Where do you think he goes? Atlanta. I think they're the team that just is most obviously looking to make a deal. And Sacramento is like Sacramento. It makes sense for them to be aggressive because if they think Simmons is someone that they can actually build a really good team around, that it makes sense to go for it now um, because he's such a unique opportunity where his, his value is so low. But if he's in a situation where he thrives then he immediately becomes a potential superstar again. Um, but like Sacramento, I don't think they like, I don't think they have to blow it up necessarily. I think they might, I think I, like, I think it's okay if they want to continue to just build around Fox and Halliburton and just kind of completely retool the rest of the roster around it. While Atlanta seems like they're seems like Travis Schlenk is pretty mad at himself for continuing to do it the way he's done it, and they seem it, it seems like they've been pretty obviously trying to make some sort of big move here. So they just seem like the team that's most motivated and most positioned to make this happen. I think I agree with you that Atlanta makes the most sense. I don't even like the Ben Simmons fit in Sacramento if De'Aaron Fox is not going the other way, to be honest. So, like, oh, yeah, that's a terrible fit. I'm confused on that. Like, I'd be trying to include De'Aaron Fox in that deal and build around Ben Simmons and Tyrese Halliburton if I was them. But I, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you're Philadelphia, the best offer we've talked about so far is still that Sacramento offer that we talked about from the jump. And that's a great deal for Philadelphia, I think. And I don't know. I, I think that that's the best place to end it, though. I, I will say that I think if they offer that deal, if Sacramento offers that deal that we just talked about, and that is there, and that's – I don't know if Atlanta beats that offer, I will say. Um, okay, let's take a quick commercial break now that we're done with the Ben Simmons stuff and get into the other 10 guys because – uh, I don't think that our conversations about them will be as long as the other as this conversation was. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. 
NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back, Jared. And the next place let's go is Indiana because I feel like Indiana is the team that has had the most discussion outside of Ben Simmons in regard to trades this year. And it's because of the report, which I believe came from Shams originally, stating that they're willing to look into blowing it up. They're willing to discuss Miles Turner. They're willing to discuss Demonis Sabonis. They're willing to discuss Karis LeVert. Um, Recently, it's been reported that they're basically looking for an all-star with Demonis Sabonis. The way it was framed to me was the price on Sabonis is so high that like it's very unlikely he moves. Um, they're valuing him to an incredibly high extent. Um, Miles Turner Wait, and Karis why, don't, why don't I get the shout out on my report? Because oh, Sean's he, credit, I don't get did credit. you? I mean, I think I was probably the first. I, I noticed that I yes, started getting please. aggravated for that one. Tell yeah, me I'm about sure, it. I'm sure... It's like like every other Pacers report. I put something out because I'm I'm not on the Pacers feed. I'm on the Celtics feed, but I also do right. you know a lot these are my national reporting. Every time I put something out, I get a ton of credit for it, and I I'm like didn't didn't haven't people been saying this already? I didn't think I was saying anything too revelatory, <laughs> but I did put a league sources tell the athletic thing, so like I said it's going to catch the attention. But you know that goes all the way back to saying Victor Oladipo wanted out. It's like everyone in Indiana, everyone in the league knew that, but so. Well, you- Part of the reason I wanted to have you on is because you had a one-on-one with Miles Turner uh, earlier this year. Well, most interestingly, it was also Kevin Pritchard, which he said some fascinating things. And then after he said those things, owner Herb Simon did something really rare and he got all the beat reporters and he said his piece too. It was really, I hadn't really seen anything like it in a long time. But so, I mean, Pritchard was very clear to me on the record that this team has a pretty clear program of how they build, which is that they don't blow it up and start from scratch, that they pivot and they try to keep moving forward. And so he looked to the PG trade, to the Obadipo trade, and he wants to do the same thing if he trades Sabonis. And so I know we caught a lot of flack for saying, um, uh, we, don't, we don't know if we, like, is that star to build around in the building? We don't know. Um, and I, I try to frame it in the story as him, basically saying, like, maybe Domas is that guy. I mean, Domas has been an all-star. He is still only 25, as is Miles Turner, but he doesn't seem to be kind of progressing to the next level. And also, they've been changing up his role, and there's kind of this friction of Carlisle wanting to use him as kind of a more standard spread pick-and-roll five where he's 
hard rolling through the lane and then spacing the floor, while his whole game is he likes to kind of operate from the high post and play little like kind of triangle actions out of there. And so we've seen a lot of games where he's doing that and he's kind of switching back and forth and it's kind of a tug of war between them. And so it feels like every everyone in Indiana is in a bit of a tug of war with Rick Carlisle, which I guess that's what happened when a coach comes in and wants to completely change up the system. But so it, the team is pretty rife for some significant trades. I think they do need to clearly blow the team up and trade most of their guys. Um, it, they just like they can go for other younger vets who are also in similar situations that need a switch or maybe even just go for some older guys because we always know that they want to break. They would love to bring back Gordon Hayward if they ever can find a way to do that. <laughs> you know, Gordon Hayward is destined to play for the Pacers at some point in his career. Uh, but yeah, here, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Where, where do you want to go with this talk? There's just such a natural fit between Charlotte and Indiana via trade, I think. Like, I've thrown out the idea of, like, a three-team move involving, like, the Ben Simmons deal and Gordon Hayward and getting a center to Charlotte. I don't even know if you need to include the Ben Simmons portion of that. Like, you could just do T.J. Warren and Miles Turner for Gordon Hayward or T.J. Warren and Demonis Sabonis for Gordon Hayward. Um you know, plus other assets on top of it. I just mean in terms of like the financial structure of the deal. I, I don't I, like. I, I just don't know what Indiana wants outside of like. I understand based off of what you just said. Like they're looking for uh, deals that help them stay competitive, but also um, allow them to shift in a different direction. Hard to do that. <laughs> it's hard to do that yeah. in the NBA. <laughs> I, I, I think that they. They definitely want to probably, I think that they want to shift their offense to have a primary, like they're starting to be a primary creator from the perimeter, whether it's a point guard or a wing. And so it's funny. I always hear um, people say like, oh, they can make a deal with Dallas and Rick Carlisle can, you know, knows which guys he wants. It's like, I don't really think Rick Carlisle is interested in doing business with Dallas right now. I don't think there's people on the right. I mean, Jalen Brunson, if you take out the whole contract free agency thing, like Jalen Brunson is a player. Dorian Finney right. Smith as a player would be wonderful, but you have the contract problem there. So I, you know, that Dallas is definitely one of those teams that you could really see uh, Miles Turner going to, and maybe maybe there's a way that Sabonis could go there, although it's hard to imagine. Um, but so I, I really think that Indiana is probably right now trying to figure out who are some of these guys in their mid twenties who are really good but not quite good enough, kind of in that Sabonis ilk, and you know, there's. I think one interesting one is in Toronto with Pascal Siakam because everyone there is just going nuts over Scotty Barnes, as they should. And yeah. there's just there just seems like there's some natural redundancy there. And I think it's a good having six ten wings that can do everything is probably a good place to have redundancy, but it at least gives you at least Barnes seems to have enough promise that it gives you a chance to move off of Siakam and you know and, and actually still kind of build the team team you want to build. So I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana tries to make some sort of big offer to try to get somebody like Siakam. Man, Pascal has been so good. Like, you remove those first, like, 15 games where it was clear he was kind of, like, feeling his way back in. I mean, you look at his last 15 games here. He is averaging 23.5 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals. He's shooting 49, 35, 70 from the field. And playing, like, valuable defense for them. I I mean, like, it, it's hard for me to see what Indiana offers to get him. Like, I think that they could want Demonis Sabonis because, again, he fits their model of 
big dude, six nine plus, super sized, very adept with the ball, has a lot of playmaking attributes. And I guess he fits with Scotty Barnes as well because he's Scotty's a versatile defender who can kind of, you know, move off of him, create some help side, uh, you know, ability where if Demonis gets beat, there's still another guy there coming to protect the rim. I don't, I like it. Like, I like the idea of those two because Toronto is another team that does need a center. It's just that Toronto has gotten back into this playoff race, like, in large part because Pascal and Fred Van Vliet are carrying them. And if I was Toronto, like I might be interested in just keeping Pascal on some level. I don't know. Like that's, that is an interesting one though. That's one I hadn't I mean, totally he, thought about. Yeah. And I will say that a lot of the talk I was hearing was before Christmas. And I mean, yeah. since Christmas, he's been on that insane tear. He's also played 40 minutes a game though. So yeah. yeah, since Christmas, so that makes you that makes you a little worried about his durability. Um, but I mean, yeah, the dude's been. He's. I think the crazy part is he's averaging like six assists a game over that span. Yeah. So the fact that he's scoring again and shooting the ball decently is great. But the playmaking too to have two you know huge forwards that can playmake like that it does make Toronto really scary. And Siakam was what like twenty? Is he twenty eight? Almost at this point. Yeah, so, he's like 27, 28. Yeah, something in yeah. that range. So the irony is that you could actually trade for Sabonis and actually move your timeline back a little bit yep. um, and just kind of align it a little bit better. But I think Siakam is playing better than Sabonis at this point, and I think he's at a more valuable role. I, I'm pretty sure I still value a, a big forward that can do some stuff on the perimeter better than a center. Yeah, like, you know. Offensively. If you are going to move Sabonis and your criteria is all-star, right? Like Siakam works, right? Like that's, if that's what you're going for, that works. Here's my question. If you were an opposing team, would you rather have Demonis Sabonis or Miles Turner? So I've had this question asked me a hundred times and I feel like they're really close in their value on the, uh, as far as like, I can't think of a smart way to say it. They're they're really close in their overall contributions, considering how good Turner is and how much he holds that defense together on the other end. And then his shooting has fallen off a little bit, but like was for most of the year shooting forty two percent from deep. And so, if you're a team that already has the creators in place, I feel like Miles is a pretty clear answer there. If you're a team that doesn't have an offensive system in place and you want Domas, that uh, you want Domas to be one of your core offensive hubs, then Domas is a pretty clear answer there. And, I mean, my my story that I did with Miles was all about Miles saying that he's ready to take on a bigger role in an offense and get to put the ball on the floor more and have more pick and rolls run through him and stuff like that. So, you know, his, his offensive skill could definitely scale, but there's a lot of stuff that Domas does at a different level that Miles, you know, maybe after a few years of that role, maybe could catch up to to a decent degree and maybe become the better player. But right now, Domas is clearly just a better offensive player. But so... I, I think most of the teams on the market, especially if you're doing midseason trades, you're not really looking for someone to change up your entire offensive system at the compromise right. of their defense. You're looking for somebody that can, you can fit into your system. So I've always seen it, and I, just from everyone I've talked to around the league, it seems like they all agree, is that Domas is going to have the higher price, and that's certainly what it is now. You know, Miles, they're looking for two first-round picks, which I don't know if they're going to get, especially with the stress reaction in his foot. That's probably going to keep him out for several more weeks. Um it's like Domas is going to demand the more value, especially because of just the optics of it from Indiana side. But 
there are so many more teams that can use Miles Turner right now. Uh, yeah, you know, the Lakers the, are desperate to get him, and I don't know if the THC package will fit. I'm sure we'll get to that anyway. But there's a bunch of other teams that would love to have him there too. Yeah, the way that I kind of think about it is that Tamanis Sabonis is a better player than Miles Turner. Miles Turner's skill set is more scalable than Tamanis Sabonis's. Like it, it's a lot easier to fit Miles Turner into a scheme. And I think that frankly, a team ceiling is higher fitting Miles Turner into a ceiling or into a scheme than building a scheme around Demonis Sabonis, uh, which is kind of what you have to do in order to get the most out of him. Um, the other guy we haven't talked about here is Karis Levert. He is number three on this list here. Uh, I just assume that Karis is going to go for something like a late first round pick. Uh, yeah, and no question. He'll get moved. And like the deal that is somewhat sensible to me is Cleveland could use one more creator, you know, be it a late first round pick. You know, they have the Ricky Rubio contract to match. Obviously, they might want to keep his contract for bird rights because uh, Ricky was really valuable for them before he tore his ACL. But if they want to get better this year, I do think that like Ricky Rubio on a first Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton and trading Sexton's bird rights for Karis LeVert is or restricted free agency rights for Karis LeVert is kind of interesting. I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think that, I think there's something there in terms of Karis LeVert to Cleveland because Cleveland could use just one more offensive creator. So Karis is one of those guys where he like on paper checks every box, but yeah. then it's, it's like the, it's the stuff that you can't really, um, that you can't really quantify about like fit timing attitude um you know willingness to go along with the program hot and cold inconsistency stuff like that that makes me worried um like cleveland's cleveland's in this weird spot where it's clicking so well but they right. just don't quite have the, the talent refined yet to actually kind of really compete and he is a very refined skilled guy i mean the, his skills are phenomenal as far as getting to those, those pull-ups some of the playmaking he can do but I mean, I've just seen, as I've had to watch a ton of Pacers games just because of all the reporting I've been doing on them, and I shouldn't say had to. I've, I've been fortunate enough to watch them lose <laughs> over and over again. But <laughs> the Pacers, like, he's a good example of what makes his Pacers team frustrating is that he has these, like, incredible games. Um, or he'll have, like, a game where so much of it's incredible and then, like, things really go wrong at a certain point of the game. And Indiana, they've been, they, like, they are, with the Celtics, one of these teams that just, like, their net rating is good. They look like they're a really good team. And then just the fourth quarter comes, and their offense is a complete shit show. And yeah. Karras has definitely been a big part of that, for better and for worse. And so I worry about bringing that into Cleveland. Um, but at least he's a player where it's like you don't, you're not committed to him long term. So right. you, know, you, you can move on from him if it causes a problem. And it's not like Cleveland reasonably expects to be winning the title this year. Yeah, I think that the other team that is somewhat interesting for Karis LeVert is the team that we can move to next. I mean, yeah, the Lakers would kill to have Miles Turner, I think. I think Karis LeVert would kind of help them because he does still weirdly get respect as a shooter. Like, for whatever reason, teams do guard him out there. Maybe it's because he is so good as a driver to where they feel like they have to, like, pressure him a little bit. And if you don't at least attach to him, he is going to beat you. But I, I think that Karras would kind of help them as well, just as 
the secondary ball handler, but I don't think you can have all of Karis, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis on the court at once, which would then necessitate a move for Russell Westbrook. I don't think they're trading Russell Westbrook. I don't see any world where a team is taking that contract midseason, at the very least. I think like it's possible to move his contract. I just don't see it like in the next couple of weeks. So the guy that I have for the Lakers here, and he's a stand-in essentially for what do the Lakers do, is Taylor Horton Tucker. As we've mentioned earlier, he's the fourth guy that we're going to talk about here out of 11. Taylor Horton Tucker is a fascinating player. He had a couple of really strong games to start the year and has not been very good since then. He's on a $10 million deal. I think there are teams out there that would value his upside. I personally am not one of those people. I'm not a huge Taylor Horton Tucker fan. He's 21 years old. He's still one of the youngest players in the NBA. He's 6'4 with 7'1 wingspan and has some real ability off the bounce. He has never really improved defensively in the way that you would think his tool set would as someone who's super strong, has that kind of length, and you know could potentially be. Taylor Horton Tucker's contract is really the only way the Lakers have to get better barring a crazy Russell Westbrook move that I, again, just don't see. What, what do we do with this? Like, that's kind of, like, I don't I don't know what to do with the Lakers, I guess, is where I'm stuck. Uh, is, is, do the Lakers have to win the title this year and therefore have to sacrifice THT this year? Because, like, if they have to win the title this year, then I guess they have to make that move because... I mean, I don't really know what the Lakers, like what happens to the Lakers if, if they don't win the title and LeBron's like, this is hopeless. Like, does LeBron actually leave? Is <laughs> I mean, I think LeBron's still pretty great, but we'll see how the rest of the year goes. But I wonder if LeBron eventually hits some sort of age point where it's actually better for the team to try to trade LeBron James and get back whatever you could get back. And hell, it would be the most exciting thing for all of us podcasters and writers out there if we could actually have a LeBron James trade market. That oh would probably break Twitter for sure. Um but, I mean, I've always liked THT. I mean, I think we talked about this. I've, I've liked him since back when he was at uh, Simeon, um, mostly because I was just uh, biased because I sat courtside to watch him go up against, I think it was R.J. Barrett one-on-one, and it was just an incredible battle, and I just loved his competitiveness and his ball skill and his defensive intensity. So, And I think he has he definitely like has the playmaking ability in there, and I think he's just been struggling with the increased role and attention and teams knowing to scout on him and stuff like that. But I think he has the ability to work his way through this and eventually get there to being like a good starting caliber guard. So I would definitely want to hold on to him if I'm the Lakers, especially because who the hell else do they have to hold on to? They keep letting go of the good guys that they're developing. And I mean, Austin Reeves is the new goat because there has to be a white goat for every single Laker team every year. But I don't know if I'm seeing. I don't know if I'm seeing Alex Caruso potential out of him yet. So it's like THC is yeah. kind of like their one thing to hold on to for the future. And you have to. You can't. You have to literally have something for the future. If you completely mortgage your future beyond comprehension, you know, twenty years from now you will be homeless. So it's like you have to. I don't think that analogy makes sense, but you get my point. But you, like, you have to at least yeah. get something somewhat long term if you're going to move him. Right, and like the Lakers are not too big to fail. The organizations history over the you know five or six years before they had lebron james proves that right so like it will eventually come back to bite them it's just the question is because you have lebron and anthony davis who's missed a lot of time here and anthony davis is one to do that right like he'll miss time here and there so 
I think that they do kind of need to go for it, but they need to go for it in a way that isn't just for a rental this year. Like they need a guy for next year as well. And that I think is why you hear the Eric Gordon stuff, right? Like Eric Gordon makes a lot of sense. He's played really well this year. Eric Gordon's another guy. We can just kind of talk about Eric Gordon here as well. Um, and move him within this conversation is the fifth guy that I want to talk about. Um, Eric Gordon would really help them from a shot making perspective, from a floor facing perspective, from a defensive perspective on the perimeter. Uh, He's the perfect fit. Here's my question. If you're the Houston Rockets, would you rather have Taylor Horton Tucker or would you rather have like the Hornets first round pick that um, who just acquired that Atlanta that Atlanta just acquired uh, for him? Like, I, I think I'd rather just have the first round pick. I think it's a more malleable asset that could be more valuable to another team down the road than Taylor Horton Tucker. So I, I'm just like kind of trying to ballpark like what what is what is the Lakers move here because if they can't even get the best offer for Eric Gordon on the table, who who is their target? I'm struggling to come up with a target, I guess, for the Lakers is what I'm, you know. I mean, I think Miles Turner has been one of the obvious ones, completely different role, but he's one that's been they've been trying to get him for a while. They tried to get him last year and. Th the th not, I think it was Thg not being in the deal kind of blew that up. Um, same thing with Kyle Lowry. Uh, but so, you know, actually, I'm not even going to answer your question. I'm asking you another question because yeah, you yeah. sit on it. I think it's something always fascinating is the young player versus the draft pick. And I feel like players, uh, people perceive players uh, losing their value way too fast. I think the the car off the lot um, analogy gets kind of exaggerated when we co- comes when it comes to valuing players because like when you buy a car you know exactly what it is and then it starts to get wear and tear while with a player when you draft them it's like sometimes you're, you're kind of getting a mystery box and it turns out to be a Bentley or in this case like a BMW 4 series or 5 series because I don't know if the 4 series is a thing that still exists but like THC could be pretty good and the Hornets pick is going to be somewhere in the middle of the first round I think like Horton Horton Tucker is on track for exactly what you would want your optimal 13, 14th pick in the draft to be. Yeah. And the uncertainty of the draft is just, I feel like is so much more significant than people tend to paint it out to be. So if you even hit on a lottery pick and they turn out to be a starting caliber player, that's generally like a pretty good outcome. So considering yeah. that THC is only like 21, 22 years old, he's still really young. And I don't think he's, good enough to command a huge salary in the free agency market when he hits it. Um, I just don't really see, like, I don't see any way that a non top 10 pick is really more valuable than him, unless you're like clearly trying to make a trade off of that. Well, the, the only reason why is that you'd be getting him for this year when he's still not very good. Like he's just not like, he's not a starting caliber player, let's say right now, mm-hmm. right? You'd have him for next year when he's 22 and I don't think there's any certainty that he would be a starting caliber player that year. And then you get him for 23-24, which may, maybe he would be. Like, I think there's a chance that he'd be a starting caliber player by the time he's 23-24. But then that's the last year of his contract, and he's an unrestricted free agent after that. So he's, he's I think a, he that's a where the concern that comes year in. Too, right? I can't remember off the top of my head, but if he does, that's even worse, right? Um so I think that that's why the draft pick is more valuable. It just gives you more time to develop 
a player that may or may not be a starter. If Taylor Horton Tucker was a starter right now, A, the Lakers probably wouldn't want to move him. But B, it, it would make a lot more sense for me with the way that his contract went. Like, th- this is kind of why I had Taylor Horton Tucker as, like, number 45 on my board or something like that. I always figured he would be better for the second team that had him than for the first team. Uh, I just thought he was so far away from being a helpful player to an NBA team that that first team just wouldn't really have a chance. And I think it's gone about as well as it possibly could have for him early on. And that's a statement on him being a talented guy. I, I just like, I guess that I'm, I'm still struggling with what the value proposition behind Taylor Horton Tucker is. And, and that's why I'm struggling in general to like understand what his value is. And on top of that, you bring up miles Turner, right? They wanted two first round picks for Miles Turner. Let's say that they value Taylor Horton Tucker in that way as being worth one of those first round picks. You could do Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn, and that gets you where you need to be in terms of salary for Miles Turner. Um, the Lakers don't have a first round pick. They have moved their 2022 first round pick. They've moved their 2024 first round pick. Uh, they don't have a first round pick, I believe, until 2026 that they can move out. Now, if you're Indiana, Maybe, maybe that's what you want. You want the pick to be farther out after LeBron James is gone. Maybe Rich Paul, after LeBron James leaves, pushes Anthony Davis out. So maybe that is the pick that you want. But I think that it's really hard to sell if you're the Indiana Pacers and you want to keep being competitive, which has been their kind of mantra at this point, right? I think yeah. it's hard to sell THT in a, another first-round pick for Miles Turner. I mean, the one thing is, it's it, it's a really hard sell on the pick. But the pick, the the Lakers can only offer a pick that is so far out that like everyone right. is gone. Like AD would probably be like thirty seven at that point or whatever it would be. I don't even know how far away twenty uh, twenty eight is. But so it would um, be twenty twenty six, and it would be uh, he'd be what thirty? He'd be in his thirties, but it, it wouldn't. He'd be thirty two something, thirty three something like that, right? He's about to, he's turning twenty nine in March, so. It'll be four years from four now. Four years so from now. So, yeah, 33. I, I thought that they, I kept hearing the 28 pick. I don't know why I had it locked in as a 28 pick, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at uh, looking at Real GM right now. The last pick they have out is the 2024 pick. Okay. So, I, I like that gamble that to bet on the Lakers with Anthony Davis, who never stays healthy, 33 years old, whether he's yeah. there or just like not good anymore. I love, I love the gamble on that draft pick. For you know, Miles is it's weird because like Miles is really well liked by the fan base there, um, and he's been there really long. So when you're trading him, it's like he's a very institutionalized player, very like ingrained into the identity of this team. But well, and like on he, top of that, like you've talked to him, he's like a like really really smart dude too. Yeah, like yeah. really oh, sure. like I think would fit into a lot of different like locker room cultures would fit into a lot of different, like he's a very emotionally intelligent human being. Yeah. He's like a, he's a very, like he, he's a very marketable guy you know, yeah. between like the shop locking and the dunks. So he doesn't get a chance to dunk and his fashion stuff and like his personality and all that. Like he's a very marketable guy. And so he's one of the main people that they brand with the Pacers. And so I think even though he's not the number one, clear number one basketball player on that team. I think Domas is because of the all-star team and because scoring and assists is usually the top thing. Like Miles is definitely a big part of their brand identity. And so getting back a player that they can't really 
kind of build the brand around because that's a huge part of it with Indiana. It's like Indiana, it's a, they're motivated by the business side of this more than almost any other team out there. And you see that in the way that Herb Simon talks about how they don't want to blow it up and stuff like that. So I don't know if THT is quite enough, but he, I think because he plays for the Lakers, he has like just enough of that brand recognition that you maybe could sell him pretty hard. And if you throw him right into the starting lineup and you, you know, feed him a ton of shots early on and he's scoring and he's making plays, you know, I, I could see him being like just enough for them to, you know, be, be willing to make that miles trade there. I, I mean, if the Pacers are willing to take that, they should like drive THT to the airport and fly him first class and get him, get him out of there. Cause miles Turner because Turner's only 25. Like he's, he makes he's that team that, that drastically better. better too. Like For miles sure. Turner makes that team drastic. They are, they are immediately the best defense in terms of upside in the NBA. If they have miles Turner and Anthony Davis protecting the rim, LeBron has actually been okay on defense this year as well. So like you mix those three, that that's just enormous upside defensively. I don't think anyone would be able to score on them on the interior. Uh, I mentioned Eric Gordon as the fifth guy earlier. Uh, Eric Gordon's been really valuable. It's funny. You cover a team in the Boston Celtics, and we're going to transition to them right after we're done with Eric Gordon. I think Eric, Eric Gordon, Gordon would candidate. be immensely helpful for the Boston Celtics. I, I think the price is just like a first-round pick for Eric Gordon, and then salary matching. And the salary matching is not insubstantial because he's on about seventeen to eighteen million dollars a year. But I think that Eric Gordon is the guy that, like, I would most expect to be moved at the deadline, if only because, like all of the pieces are there to move him. He's one of the best perimeter players on the market. They're not going anywhere right now. And he has a year and a half left on this deal. He's still really good. I think they could actually get something of real value for him. Yeah. I mean, what I do wonder is, so it's pretty obvious that Gordon's the kind of guy that you could trade one of like Romeo Langford or Aaron Smith for, you know, recent lottery picks who just really struggled to break into the rotation and we're, t- we're talking right after Langford had like a pretty nice game, but and Neesmith had a pretty nice game earlier in the week before he sprained his ankle, but those guys are still really, really far away. Um, and it may, may, you know, we're, there's big question marks about whether they'll get to being you know, high quality rotation players. And Gordon is just like everything this team needs. I mean, a high volume 45% shooter from deep is just such a game changer for the Celtics. It just, it's really the Celtics biggest issue right now is that, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown will completely break down the defense, draw a huge crowd, and then kick it out to somebody who just pricks an open three. And it just happens yep. over and over and over again. And they just lost to Portland because Portland played zone and they pressured Tatum and got the ball off of him. And the Celtics just kept missing shots and they missed uh, every shot for the last seven minutes and 19 seconds, I believe. Like, literally missed every single shot. It was it was insane. And that that's the story of their season. And so you put in a guy like Gordon, and that makes a huge difference. And I mean, what, what's interesting is they could send out... So th- it seems like the Celtics are very likely to trade Dennis Schroeder. There's, things are changing a little bit because he's had a bunch of good shooting games, because his value maybe is not that far from what his early bird rights would give the team that they wanted to resign him. So there is maybe some plausibility to being able to resign him. Um, you know, and there's, like, there's a gulf between... Marcus Smart, who is a good salary match for uh, Eric Gordon, if you pair him with like someone like Aaron Neesmith or whatever. And then there's a the huge question of, is, is, it, is Eric Gordon good enough that it's worth trading someone like Marcus Smart, who the Celtics have had a lot of trouble making the triumvirate of Brown, Smart, and 
and Tatum work in the fourth quarter. They, they just have huge up and ups and downs. But like Smart is still a va- incredibly vital component to this team, and that was actually pretty obvious when they blew that Blazers game that they didn't really yeah. have somebody that could take the ball out of Tatum's hands and actually really run the offense effectively. And it was obvious that if they had Smart, they probably would have held on to that game. So you know, the, the Celtics just have. A bunch. They have like a bunch of like okay bench guys, and then if you're swapping out Gordon for one of those guys, it's like is Gordon shooting? Is I guess is Gordon playing well enough that that really builds the team out if you switch him for like Josh Richardson or something like that, um, or you give up like a, a core piece and Smart, who's kind of the team's third best player, although Rob Williams has been playing really well as of late, so you can debate that. But Smart has you know been the team's third best player. I don't know if Eric Gordon's quite at the level, especially at his age, that you would want to move him into that third best player on the team slot and think that they actually are going to get that much better right now, considering Gordon's going to be, what, 34 this year. So you have to win real soon if you're bringing in a guy like Gordon. Well, Marcus Smart's the sixth guy on my list that I want to talk about. So let's kind of mesh these two together. Um, To me, with the Celtics, it's all philosophical. They need to make a choice on what they want to do and what their organizational goals are. Because acquiring Eric Gordon and moving Marcus Smart are two things like in diametrically opposed positions, right? Um, And to do both of them, I think, would keep them in the same place, kind of like what you're saying. So I think as much as anything, they need to make a call on, okay, do we want to try and get as flexible as possible in the summer? Do we want to move Marcus Smart, move Al Horford? Uh, I believe you reported. Was that you that reported that they're somewhat interested in like looking at an Al Horford deal? Yes, they've been. Yeah, that was me. Uh, I think I put that on the Athletic earlier this week. So yeah. they've been looking at moving him. They're they're looking for other fives. I think I don't think it's necessarily trading Horford for a center, but just like they're looking to move Horford, and then they'll need another center if they do that because they're not going to put Ennis Freedom at the uh, backup five spot that's been kind of a mess this year, as we'd expect. And Grant Williams has has had a really good year, but you can't count on him to be your only backup center. Right. So if I'm Boston, I'm clearing the decks and I'm trying to build around like Jason uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I'm like trading. I personally would move Marcus Smart for an expiring deal in picks. I would move Al Horford for an expiring deal in whatever manner I could. Like I would try and make it so that in the summer I can build a team that makes sense next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I, look, I don't know if they're going to go that way. I think they probably won't go that way. So if you are going to go that way, there are avenues to go get someone like Eric Gordon. You know, you mentioned the Dennis Schroeder deal. Like you could do Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson, and Richardson hasn't been bad. Recently, like I think that's important to know. He's like, good. Yeah. yeah, like you could move the Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson, the first round pick kind of move, something like that. So I don't know. That's that's an interesting one to kind of close the loop on Eric Gordon. The other team I want to note here is Memphis. Uh, Memphis could move like the Kyle Anderson and Jarrett Culver deals, as well as one of their three later first round picks this year. For Eric Gordon, and I think Eric Gordon, again, if they want to be competitive this year and they think they can make a run in the West, I think Eric Gordon like really, really helps them in that in that ability. So 
That's not to say that like Tyus Jones and D'Anthony Melton aren't good players, but Eric Gordon's kind of a different dude, especially come playoff time, because I would be worried that teams will just like sag off of Tyus Jones and D'Anthony Melton offensively in a way that would get concerning. Um, I, I don't know. Like if you're Memphis, you have these two expiring deals that can get you there salary wise. You have all of these first round pick assets. I, I don't know. That that seems interesting to me as well. Would, would Memphis have too many guards at that point? Like, well, that, yeah, that's the thing with honestly. Slow-mo. It's like, okay, right, go ahead. No, I, I think you're right. Like, uh, look, you'd have all of Desmond Bain. You'd have John Conchar. You'd have Dylan Brooks, obviously, would still be in that mix on the wing. You'd have DeAnthony Melton and Tyus Jones, right? But Dylan Brooks can slide down to the three. Honestly, like Eric Gordon, you can play three around him because he's so strong that he can check bigger guys for the most part. So, I, I don't know. I think it would even give them more versatility along the perimeter in a way that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, because, I mean, Melton just isn't shooting the ball well this year. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I do definitely believe in Melton's future. I've always been pretty high on him. Um, but it, bringing in Gordon now and just giving them another guy that can rifle off shots the way he can, it, def, it definitely makes them a lot more exciting. And they're one of those teams where they still have the, men, the, the grit and grind mentality to a certain degree. And so if anybody's willing to be a physical defender, you feel like they're going to come in there and have, be really successful as a defender just because of the culture that they have. Yeah. And then to close the loop on Marcus Smart here before we move in a totally different direction, you don't think he gets traded, right? Like I, I, everything I've kind of gathered in terms of like the impression I've gotten is that it's unlikely, like not impossible, but unlikely. Yeah, I I just I think this team needs a pretty substantial rebuild around the Jays because the clock is ticking pretty loudly on Jalen Brown's contract. And irrespective of the conversation we had off the air before we uh, went on, that we'll leave there. But uh, I've always just I've I've always been coming into the season thinking like Brown's about to be halfway through his deal. He is clearly the number two guy in this city between the way that the team brands, the way, which isn't their fault, it's the way that the public reacts. It's going to be that way when, you know, like we were talking about with uh, Indiana, that the guy that gets all the buckets is the guy that gets the star power in the city. Right. That's just how it works. And that Tatum's been the bu- the big bucket getter. And credit to Jalen Brown. He's had a lot of moments this year where he's shown that he is also performing at a pretty, you know, pretty big all-star potential superstar level. Um, and so... I mean, it, I don't think Jalen Brown's an all-star this year just because of the injuries and the inconsistencies. And you could probably say the same thing with Tatum shooting, although he's probably going to make it anyway just because of volume. But, you know, Brown has like, clearly established himself as an all-star player. But so, Marcus, I just I can't... You know, if they have a, like if they could get, like, Tyrese Halliburton somehow, which they can't, but, like, you know, if, if it's one of those kind of opportunities where you have a really good young player that you can bring in that could potentially turn into a third banana, then, sure, it makes sense to make that move, but... I think that it makes more sense to wait till the off season and do that. Um, and it really, I think this team is mostly just looking to accumulate assets and uh, get under the tax this season so that they can have a full clear the deck on the repeater uh, tax and then put themselves in a financial position to make the big home run trades this off season. Cause they've been kind of kicking the can and making steady tweaks for a while now. And it's like, if you don't do it this upcoming offseason, you're finally at the point where, okay, now one of the Jays might actually be leaving, and then your franchise is actually falling apart. Right. Yeah, the, the timeline is starting to get murky in Boston. Um, 
Yeah, it seems like they're not going to move Marcus Smart just in a move to like move his salary off the books. Like I've been mentioning Joe Ingles for uh, Joe Ingles in a first round pick or something like that for Marcus Smart. And like, I just don't see them doing that. Like, I, I don't think that they value uh, getting Marcus Smart off the books in the same way that I do. But that moves us to Utah. Which the vibes out of Utah are just weird. <laughs> like, there's not really another way to put it. Rudy Gobert is like calling out their perimeter defenders, and uh, Donovan Mitchell is like acknowledging it. And I, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> like, it's just well, a bizarre situation. <laughs> they're the most interesting team with the smart conversation because, like, they're they're being pretty obvious that they need Marcus Smart, and there's been so much noise about them going for Smart, and. And that Danny Aiden's running the show. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I mean, yeah, they they seem to love each other. So, (laughs) like, that that team has so many pieces that the Celtics would love to have. Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley. You know, if they could trade Smart and something else and get, like, those three guys, I feel like that would be the change that Utah needs. It would also fill a ton of the holes that the Celtics have. Um, Obviously, you can't, like, trade all those guys. Or maybe there's some sort of way the Celtics could throw a bunch of first-round picks and Al Horford in there and somehow entice them. I don't really think so. Um, but so, like, those are two teams that can really find the pieces to work out a deal together. Um, it's just that you're tra- at that point, you're probably trading smart for nothing. There, it's, not a, it's not a long-term solution, but it definitely changes the court dramatically around the Jays there for at least a couple of years. So maybe that does make sense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the... The Jazz need a new defensive leader, it seems like, out on the perimeter. That, it's been pretty apparent the way that they're calling it. Yeah. And I, I guess that, like, the name that I want to talk about here, I think, is number six or number seven among the guys on our list here is Joe Ingles, because he has a $14 million expiring deal. Uh, Brian Windhorst over at ESPN, like, talked to Joe Ingles, and Joe Ingles was like, Look, I understand this is a business. I understand that, like, my deal is the one that makes sense, even though I've been, you know, a, a key core piece here over the course of my time. He, he gets it. So it seems like they could be hurtling toward using his deal to try and upgrade. Marcus Smart's the guy that just like makes the most sense in the world to me. But the other problem with Utah that I think not enough people have kind of mentioned here is that their first round pick situation is not ideal. Like they can't move a first round pick out until 2026 because their 2022 and 2024 picks are already moved out in a trade. So I'm trying to figure out what, what to do with Utah. Like, is it an actual roster move where it's not Joe Ingles and instead it's like Boyan, who's again been really good this year, or is it, you know, we move Joe Ingles and we try and get like a little upgrade on the perimeter defensively. Like, to, like Robert Covington isn't what they need. I don't think. Like I, I don't think that he makes sense. They need someone who's an on-ball defender, not like a help defender. Yeah, and like I don't think Ingles and Smart. Like Ingles is just too old, and he's like clearly showing signs of decline. So I, I don't really think that works if it's just those two guys. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think the the interesting question is: Are you looking for like a big wing smotherer defender? Or are you looking for like a super intense smaller guard defender there? Because you already have Mitchell and you already have Conley. It's a good question. I think I would like someone who is bigger that could defend guards, which is why, again, Mark Smart is like the perfect name for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think like I want someone who can defend like one through three almost because they 
like they need someone to take some pressure off of Royce O'Neal. And again, like it's just like the, the guy that really stands out for me for them would be Derek White. Like Derek White would be awesome there. Like I, I just don't know if San Antonio is going to be like, okay, we'll take Joe Ingles, you know, maybe Jared Butler. Like Jared Butler obviously had some real injury questions coming into the NBA draft. Uh, I don't know how many teams will be like, yes, we clear him. Like we're good to acquire him in a trade. Um, I don't know how valuable Yudoka Azubuke is. Maybe the maybe the Spurs would be like, yeah, we'll take. Joe Ingles, Yudoka Azubuke, and that 2026 first round pick lightly protected for Derek White. I, I mean, that that's the deal that like makes a ton of sense for me if I was Utah. I mean, the, does San Antonio value any of the mid-rotation guys for Utah? Or, are these all, or is it all guys that, like, does Royce O'Neal... But I think they need to keep Royce because they need a second defender on the perimeter. Like Royce is the only guy there that's like holding that defense up. (laughs) I love Royce and I love him in Utah. On the perimeter, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I wouldn't trade Boyan for Derek White. I don't think. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I wouldn't trade Mike Conley. And then obviously I don't think San Antonio and the matching would be a mess. And I don't think San Antonio is looking to take on someone like Jordan Clarkson. So it's just hard to find. It's hard, to, it's hard to find the asset package that makes sense for Derek White, although it's hard to also yeah. figure out how much San Antonio values Derek White, because Derek White seems replaceable as DeJounte Murray turns into a star and their other young wings start to come into their own. It feels like Derek White is just kind of gonna, eventually going to be squeezed out. Yeah. Is there like a third team that like could that wants to get salary cap space next year that you could shoot Joe Ingles to? Like, is there is like, could that happen? Like, I don't, I don't know. And then like that team gives up a real prospect to San Antonio um, that they really value. Right. Because even with Derek White's deal, they have max cap space this summer or they can get pretty close to max cap space. So like, it doesn't really hurt them to take on a deal that like matches similarly from another team. Like if you're, I'm trying to come up with a team that like could use, getting off of some salary to facilitate a move. Like, is there a chance they would really like Leandro Bulmaro and Minnesota is willing to move that Torian Prince deal with Leandro Bulmaro to, um, whatchamacallit, to San Antonio. Utah sends Joe Ingles to Minnesota and then Derek White goes to Utah, like something like that. Yeah, it's funny. Minnesota was one of those teams I was thinking of, um, especially because I think the question is, are they going to tender Josh Okogie this offseason, or are they just going to try to get as flexible as possible? Um, and are they going to try to move Malik Beasley? But they're a team that they can really clear that deck around Towns, Russell, Edwards, and I assume McDaniels, and uh, who else is? Oh, Vanderbilt. Those are like the keepers there. But they can really yeah. clear, clear the deck around those guys and be able to bring in like another really good starter. So, but you know what, though? I, I thought Torian Prince had another year, and he doesn't. Yeah, he's he, expiring, is an expiring right? yeah. deal. Yeah. So, like, that doesn't even totally line. And maybe it'd be like Malik Beasley or something. But Malik Beasley seems like the antithesis of a San Antonio Spurs player. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be Pat Bev, and, you know, and you, and you get some picks involved. But, you know, Pat Bev's got, what, $14 million this year expiring. So, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Or make it a four-team deal and find Malik Beasley a new home. It just seems like Malik Beasley just isn't necessary with Anthony Edwards and uh, Jared Vanderbilt, 
you know, making pretty compelling starting cases. Well, obviously Edwards is a starter and Vanderbilt's been, his defense has been so damn good and him and Towns yeah. are so damn good next to each other. I feel like he's going to have to start. Yeah, I think Vanderbilt's like the guy for them that they, uh, among those younger guys, along with Jaden McDaniels, um, and not including Anthony Edwards in there, he's kind of elevated beyond this, I think. But like, that's the guy you keep, I think, is Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Tr- trying to find a way to get Derek White to Utah is interesting to me, though. That That's kind of what I'd... If I was Utah, I'd be trying to find a third team that is looking to create cap space and then send Joe Ingles there and send like another contract to San Antonio with a real prospect. Because Derek White could be really helpful to Utah. Um, I mean, the, you know, we haven't t- mentioned the Knicks. The Knicks have like a lot of these guys that have you know money in like the teens and then a team option after that for two years from now. And they're floundering, and I mean, they probably need to trade Julius Randle. Uh, I'm surprised Julius Randle hasn't come up more in trade rumors, considering how much of a shitstorm it is in New York right now, and he's actively fighting the fans. But, I mean, they, they seem like a team that might be willing to kind of take a little bit of a step back this year, although I'm not sure trading any of the guys that we're referring to, like Derek Rose and uh, Nolan Sowell and Alec Burks. I don't really know if trading any of those guys would really be a step back for them anyway to hold salary. Yeah, but, like, with that being the case, I don't know. Would they move like Alec Burks and quickly or something like that? But like that, that does, that doesn't seem, I don't know. Like if I was them, I'd want to hold on to my young guys because they're in kind of a weird spot. Like it, it needs to be a team that's like pseudo on the verge of contending, but isn't like quite contending yet. Um, maybe like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe, is there like a New Orleans deal that they'd want to get off? Is there is there a deal the Wizards like wouldn't mind getting off? Washington that isn't was the expiring? other team I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, um, that's I mean, a tricky like KC, one. Though. KCP is <clears throat> always tradable. KCP is going to spend his entire career just on the verge of being traded. I'm sure. Yeah, and like Denver, like they could actually like try and get off of money at some point here before that. Um, before that contract gets before uh, the Michael Porter contract kicks in like Will Barton is like a name, but Will Barton's been way too valuable to them this year to move. Like may- maybe it's, they try to like get off of that Monte Morris deal, which I think has a couple years left. Like may- maybe it's, maybe it's like moving Monte Morris and Zeke Naji to the Spurs, getting Joe Ingles to move off of the Monte Morris deal. And then, you get, you know, Derek White up to Utah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't even really think that makes sense for Denver because Denver needs Monte Morris so much. So, um, like, they just need perimeter guys. Maybe once, maybe if, if they have a better timeline on Jamal Murray coming back, that could make sense. But I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I can, t- that's a I can totally see one. the Spurs. I can see the Spurs doing what looks like a bad trade for like Zeke Naji and Bones Highlands. And then both of them turn out to be like really good starters two years from now. That would be like yeah. extremely off-brand for the Spurs. Yeah, and like the Spurs could use another big prospect, so like Najee would make sense. But again, like the Nuggets need guards. Like they, they need perimeter players more than anything else. Let's um let's go to Jeremy Grant real quick. I don't know what to do with Jeremy Grant. I don't know how I think that the market idea of what Jeremy Grant is worth is more than I would pay for Jeremy Grant, it seems like. Um, real shot creator, real, like, I, I guess, shoot, shooter, sort of. But his defense hasn't been nearly as good as what it was in Denver. 
And like that, if you're a, if you're a winner acquiring Jeremy Grant, you want to slide him back into that Denver role. And the whole thing, <clears throat> excuse me, of why he signed in Detroit was he wanted the greater offensive role. And if he's not as willing to play elite level defense and not as willing to take a backseat shot wise, I, I don't know if I want Jeremy Grant necessarily. And like the Celtics are another team that have been brought up in the Jeremy Grant sweepstakes, right? So like, it's hard for me to find a team for Jeremy Grant, I guess, where I'm like, yes, they should do this. Yeah, I think, you know, he's such a fascinating story in that he walked away from a winning situation where he was kind of like one of the key missing pieces where I guess when he walked away and he got his taste of being the feature guy on a terrible team and doesn't necessarily mean that he is permanently wanting to be a feature guy the rest of his career. Maybe he kind of he got it out of his system. He got the attention. He got the numbers. He got the money. And now he's ready to kind of step back into a role. I think he's probably a little young to be doing that because he's, he's 27 or 28. Yeah, well, he's whatever. probably he's 27 like at this prime. point. He's, he's still got some years of, you know, put up, you know, get buckets for a couple of years before it's time to start. You know, I, I hate the term ring chasing, but start to sacrifice his role to be in a competitive situation, that kind of thing. Um, and Detroit yeah. is the situation is right for him to keep taking whatever shot he wants for a long time. He's got a really good point guard to give him the ball. Talk about Killian Hayes. There's also Kate Cunningham. Um, had to get a Killian Hayes joke in there for a second. But so like, if I'm him, I'm not that motivated to get out of Detroit. It seems like that's what he wants. And I'm, I definitely, he, he's, he has enough value in the market that I can't. I'm, if I'm, a, I can't trade for him and see him be discontent and have like a Karis Levert situation where it's like it's clear that the guy is not happy with his role there and it creates toxicity and dis, you know, uh, dis, uh, disconnectivity in the offense. I wonder if a team that makes sense for him is Minnesota. Minnesota has a lot of guys that take a lot of shots but they could use another big wing defender in that way to insulate towns. If he was willing to like really sit down and defend in that way that he used to, this is one where I'd need to do as much background Intel work as possible and understand what Jeremy Grant wants. Like if Jeremy Grant does not want to slide back into that role, like I wouldn't want him on the Timberwolves, but the Timberwolves have all of their own first round picks. They have guys like Bulmaro, um, you know, you have a Jaden McDaniels who hasn't played well offensively this year, but is still valuable on defense. Like, th- there's probably something there if, like, the Timberwolves wanted to continue to try and take a run at this. I mean, I think I think the big thing is just that his his value, the, the way that he's getting talked about now is just high enough that wouldn't be surprised if Detroit's just willing to kind of take whatever they can get at this point just to kind of move on from the situation. Because when these guys dangle... Right. For that long in trade talks, it just kind of it creates so much tension over time. You see it with you know Marcus Smart in Boston or Miles Turner in Indiana. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other examples. It's just the first two that I think of because I've dealt with them so much. But right. you know, it's like he's just been dangling in that situation ever since he got there. And it, there's been enough noise that I don't think it's just a other people, other outside parties are trying to stir the pot thing. Like there's clearly been some reciprocation of interest in moving him, and I think. Weren't we really hearing that even when he went to Detroit, even like before the first season started, that there was a good chance that he was going to get moved on this contract anyway? So, you know, if a guy's teetering in that situation, it's really hard for him to kind of like establish roots with the team and really be a part, like be a driver of the team culture. And this team is very clearly building a new team around um, 
beef stew and uh, and Cade and kind of have to let those guys be the ones that set the agenda. Okay, let's go rapid fire through our final three guys. Robert Covington uh, is a guy that like makes sense a lot of different places, I think. Uh, has a reasonable contract. Portland needs to, I think, should move him just because they're not going anywhere this year. Damian Lillard is out. Uh, give me one team that makes sense for Robert Covington. Ooh, interesting. Um, every team in the NBA makes sense for Robert Covington. I'm trying to think. I mean, like... Honestly, I'd, I'd like to see him in Denver if Denver could find a way to to get him there. But there's no team that's jumping out to me as like the obvious fit. You, pro- I hope you have one ready for you because I don't. Well, I wonder if like Phoenix could make sense, like for that Dario Saric contract plus like a first round pick or something. Um, I don't even know if I would give up a first round pick for Robert Covington at this point, like given that it's a rental. I, don't think I would. Yeah. Um, Phoenix is, is just so late that like maybe it's like okay like we're willing to do this um, yeah I, I mean maybe you could make a pitch for Dallas uh, giving up like a pick of some sort it, it needs to be a team that has like a high second rounder or like a couple of second rounders they can move but yeah I'm not like enormously high on Robert Covington at this point uh, Buddy Heald has been traded once by Sacramento and it just didn't happen. Um, if you remember back this offseason, he was almost the Los Angeles Laker. I I, I want to talk about Buddy Heald, but like it feels like he's so ingrained in all of the other bigger machinations league wide that like I, I don't know, right? Like it, it's hard. I don't, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I get what you're saying. I wouldn't be surprised if Buddy Hield is someone that just gets thrown into a multi-team deal or something like that. It's like, oh, we finally found a place to send him. But there's no team that just seems like they obviously want to bring him in and, and really push him the next, the, the next level. I could see Philly and Dallas benefiting from bringing him in if they don't have to give him yeah. tremendous value. But I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's worth. I, I, I don't know where the price is on him for Sacramento at this point. Yeah, and like by the way, like another team that could make sense is Cleveland, right? Like Cleveland could sure. use another floor spacer, uh, someone who can like reasonably create offense to some extent. Um, I'd be interested to see what Buddy Heald looks like in the playoffs too. I'm not a hundred percent sure given his defensive attitude. Sometimes the last guy here is someone I want to use as a stand-in for the random dudes across the NBA that could be traded: Kenrich Williams. Um, I love Kenrich Williams. I think he's going to be a get for someone at the trade deadline if Oklahoma City moves him. Is there anyone else like out there just on the like fringes that you think could be a valuable player for someone to acquire? Ah, I, <laughs> I always wonder, Mo Harkless. He's just this guy that like I feel like you can like. There's so many teams that can always find a way to use him, and I always wonder. Can you bring in Mo Harkless and just like try to like find some sort of you know some sort of like positive role for him on a playoff team because you know he's only 28 years old still and he so like he's he's been starting a lot of games for Sacramento and Sacramento is really bad and he isn't really hitting his shots but he's just one of those guys that you just put him in like he just like floats in the court somewhere and he's an effective player and. He doesn't. There's like there's no reason for him to be in Sacramento. So I'd be really really interested to see what it takes to get him out of there, and like whether some playoff team is going to try to bring him into their rotation. 
The guy that stands out in the Kenny Hustle way for me, which like Kendrick Williams, like teams, a lot, a lot of teams, I think are going to be interested in Kendrick Williams because he only makes like two to three million dollars a year. And it's just like the exact guy that fits within contenders price budget. Um, The guy that I will be interested to see is Thaddeus Young. I think he's probably going to have to be a buyout guy because the contract is too big for what his value is. But if, he goes somewhere like Atlanta where Nate McMillan is his former coach, had a lot of great years in Indiana under Nate McMillan. I kind of think he has a shot to be really, really useful for a team. He still is a good defender. He still can pass. Like there's, there's stuff there, I think with Thad young. And since we're just talking about power forwards, we could probably throw Larry Nance in there, or I guess anybody on Portland's roster, but Larry Nance has been like the guy that every team would like to bring in so that they can kind of plug that role and he yep. is not really having that good of a season in Portland, and he's another one that's like it'd be interesting to see if he could actually start shooting better and having a better year if you bring him into a better team. And his contract, he's at with like ten million, and it's going down a little bit next year in the last year. Or so, yep. and he's twenty twenty nine thirty. So he's like he's he's a solid fit to kind of bring in as almost like what feels like a mid season mid level signing for your team. Man, I love Larry Nance. I hope he gets to a winner at some point here. Jared Weiss, please tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. You can find me every once in a while on the Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. That's right. That's the only I important cover, thing. Cover the Celtics, cover the NBA, uh, podcasting, writing over on The Athletic, as I'm sure you're well aware. And uh, I live in Boston. That's what's going on in my life, I guess. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it. I love it, Jared. Thank you for coming on. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Uh, go to the YouTube channel. Watch Jared Weiss. Watch me talk about NBA trades. We will be back uh, later next week with some draft stuff, with some more trade deadline stuff, probably, because it seems like that's going to be the important stuff league-wide. I'll talk a little bit about Shaden Sharp on next week's podcast with Matt Penny. But until then and until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Thank you.